0: Well, today we are looking at 1 Samuel, chapter 1. We're going to focus particularly uh, where we left off a couple of weeks ago from uh, verse 12. No, from verse 10. From verse 9, that is. From verse 9 to verse 20. And uh, the theme... I think that runs through this section is the theme of prayer. And that's what we will be thinking through as well as we apply this passage to our own lives. Prayer. I find it out uh, amazing and, and remarkable that one of the, the instances of, of where we see the, the, grace, the amazing grace of God displayed most beautifully in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when the Saul the persecutor of the church is uh, converted. And naturally, because he was this man filled with hatred for the church, the, the disciples of the church were, were kind of uh, on the back foot because, well, he says he's a believer, but is this just a ploy to, to, to get closer and to really defer a, a, a blow on us? To, is this the point? Is this what he's trying to do? I find it remarkable that what God says to Ananias to prove that Saul was indeed a changed man is that you can go, you're safe, because he prays. And the question that we need to ask when we think about prayer is, is prayer then a proof of being saved? Prayer is the proof offered up by God with regards to Saul's conversion so is that a proof just because someone prays does that mean that everyone that prays is regenerate born again is a believer it really depends doesn't it what is prayer is the question that we need to ask ourselves how do we define prayer is it just uttering of words Eloquent words, beautiful words. Is it just a performance of duties? That is that prayer? I would suggest that that is not what the Bible understands by prayer. The Muslim prays. Often. Three or four times a day they pray. At least the devout ones. The pious Roman Catholic uh, prays the rosary prayer. I've seen even at times with tears in their eyes. But yet we know that those are the kind of prayers that God does not hear. The Roman Catholic prays to saints, to deceased saints and to images of saints. Prayer that the the Bible speaks of here, the true prayer that the Lord uses as a proof of salvation... It's not just a mere performance of religious duties or emotional uh, zeal, or it's not even connected to the sincerity of the individual. The prayer that God speaks of to Ananias and the prayer that we are considering here from from this episode in the life of Hannah is the prayer that is brought by the Holy Spirit. It's the breathing out of the soul. That is transformed by the Spirit. Just like a child does not need to be taught how to cry, a regenerated believer, someone whose heart has been transformed by the Spirit, does not need to learn how to pray. There is a development in our prayers. There is a sense where we, we, we learn how to pray better. But when our hearts are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we immediately know at least how to pour out ourselves. When God breathes, someone said, into man the breath of life, the man became a living soul when he did this to Adam. And when God breathes into the creature the breath of spiritual life, it becomes a praying soul. Prayer is an art which only the Spirit can teach us. He is the giver of all prayer. True prayer is an approach of the soul by the Spirit of God to the throne of God. True prayer is the one that flows from a regenerate heart. That's why it is said that the Lord is far from the wicked. He does not hear the wicked, but He hears the prayers of the righteous. And it is a hymn, right? Prayer is the seeker's vital breath, the Christian's native air. The Baptist Catechism says that prayer is an offering up of our desires to God, by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, for th- things agreeable to His will, in the name of Christ, believing with our confession of with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgment of mercies. John Bunyan said it beautifully: that prayer is a sincere, sensu- uh, sensible, affectionate. Pouring out of the soul to God in the name of Christ for what God has promised. Prayer, therefore, is not just speaking words. Prayer is natural to the believer. True prayer should be natural to us. It is a vehicle. words are the vehicle through which we go into God's treasure house and gather from His riches. So prayer is more than just speaking. Prayer is a pouring out before the Lord. It is communion with God. And that's what today's passage illustrates for us. True prayer that God is pleased to hear and even answer. But let me just give you a little bit of context before we get, get stuck in with the, with the text you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at the agony that uh, Hannah was going through. We, we saw a, a barren and burdened woman as she was faced with, with a childlessness and with the, the attacks and the provocations of, of her rival, Penina. And how she was left broken due to the provocations of Penina... ...the cultural pressures that she had because she was childless. And even the help that her husband tried to give was actually not a great help at all. And we stopped and we left off Hannah, barren and burdened. That was the title of the sermon two weeks ago. And in today's sermon, we find at the end of today's passage... That she's not only expectant, by the end she is elated. So we will look at Ahana's prayer and vow, at the misunderstanding that happened uh, uh, in the temple with Heli, the, the priest, and the subsequent blessing. And we will look at how God answered the prayer of Anna in giving her a son, Samuel. So in verse 9 after Elkanah had said to her uh, tried to comfort her and saying that, I'm, am I not better to you than ten sons we read in verse 9 that Anna arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh and she went to the temple she went to the tabernacle of the Lord she, she was bothered she was burdened she was, she was in, 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 uh, in anguish of her soul And what did she do? Because she had no other solution left. No one seemed to understand her. She sought out the Lord in her tears and in the midst of her misery. And that's why Anna is a hero of the faith for us. She's a woman of great faith. She was in pain, but she got up. And she represents to us... What we need to do when we are facing misery and anguish of our souls. We need to go and pour ourselves before the Lord. Verse 10 says, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Anything, I would say, brothers and sisters, as we think about prayer, anything that causes us to pray is a blessing, even when it's anguish. Even in sorrow. Even when it is such a hard thing in, in our lives that we don't even have the words to pray. And I know some of us have been going through stuff like that. Through anguishing situations that we don't even know what to say. We don't even know how to pray, what to ask of the Lord. But There is a sense that even those things are a blessing because they're bringing us to the Lord. And if even, if, even if you don't know what to say, take encouragement that the Lord hears our weeping. It's not figure of speech that I'm using. That's Psalm 6, verse 8. He hears the voice of our weeping, the psalmist says. Even when we don't know what to say. And even when we don't have eloquent words Coming out of our mouths, even when we don't know how what to ask, and we only pour out our tears before the Lord and say, "Look, Lord, I don't know. I'm in pain. I'm in anguish, just like Hannah was." The Lord hears the sound, the voice of our weeping, Psalm six, verse eight. She had nowhere else to turn. She had nowhere else, no place to find solace. Even the well-meant advice and encouragement by Elkanah uh, was altogether inadequate in this situation. And when you get to verse 10, to verse 11, you realize that even the, 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 now verse 12, you realize that even the, the priest in the temple, in the tabernacle, does not understand her. But she had God. And she turned to God. She turned to the Lord of Hosts, Jehovah Sabbath, to the one who rules over the whole universe, to the to the to the one who can turn the everything by the power of His might, the God with total resources over everything, all at His command. And God and Hannah turns to Him, the Lord of Hosts. See that for Anna God was not we sometimes think of the the believers in the Old Testament as being some sort of a little bit crude and unsophisticated they didn 't get all, all of these things no but for anna God, God was not just some uh, out there a, a figure that she didn 't uh, uh, there was all the way out there just a cultural uh, Marker or something like that that she had no God was personal and relatable, and she comes to him. She addresses him. Believers, true believers, they display some of the the best logic when we are going through uh, difficulties and when we are praying. She 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 had the faith to, to believe and to, and to understand that this God who overrules the whole of the universe would be concerned to hear her prayer. And she prays. And what does she ask for? She says it. Look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me. Do not forget your maidservant, but give me a male child and I will give him back to you. All the days of his life, she asks for a son. She wants a son, and she says, "Lord, just give me a son, and I'll give it back to you." He, she, she emphasizes that Sam, that her sons, if the Lord were to give her, give her a son, that her son would be a Nazarite, just like Samson, before. And again, this emphasizes her faith. It also is instructive to us the way that she prays, the language that she uses. You remember in, back in Exodus, it says that the Lord saw the affliction of his people, that the Lord looked at the affliction of his people in, in, in Egypt. And Hannah here is, she's kind of saying, Look, Lord, as, as you look at the, fa- at the affliction of your corporate people, I know that you look at the affliction of this one made servant of yours. And I'm praying that you can see the distress that I'm going through. Again, it's that hymn that we just sung by William Cooper. Despised, or, uh, poor though I am, despised for God, yet God, he forgets me not. She's a, a woman in pain. But she knows that God will hear her, and she comes and she prays. But then in verse 12, we we find a misunderstanding. The high priest that was introduced to us in verse 9 is there. He sees her. She's moving her lips, but no sound is coming out. And here, just as an aside, this introduces a major theme for us in the book of Samuel. That, that the, the priestly class, the, the priests have become spiritually br- blind and corrupt. Here's a woman displaying true zeal and true spirituality. And Eli, due to the corruption that Israel was in, and it, because of his own sinfulness and his own shortcomings, he doesn't see true devotion in front of him. He thinks the woman is drunk. And even rebukes her. She's speaking her heart to the Lord. And, and the, the one who should be aware of what's happening there. It's the temple of the Lord. It's the tabernacle. He should know that people go there to pray. What exactly was going on in those days? That Eli, the first thing that comes into his mind is that this woman, she just came from the feast. She just ate too much. And there she is, sulking because she's drunk. And he tells her, "Put away your wine. Stop with your drinking." Oh, but Anna knows she knows that, doesn't she? She knows something of the freedom of being in the presence of God, And that's what she says to him. "No, I'm a woman of heavy spirit. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. I'm in bitterness. I'm pouring out my complaint before him. As Psalm 142 says, "I, I tell my trouble before him. And she knows that she can do it. That she can come before the Lord and, compl- and pour out her complaints to Him. And let Him know of her need, the, the deep spiritual anguish that, is going, that she's going through. And she should be a model for us of devotion, of realizing that we are powerless, that we need the Lord. She was a woman of heavy spirit. And again, we, we hear, and there's, a, there's this idea going around in many churches that, that believers in the Old Testament didn't have the freedom or, uh, to approach God personally, to, to entrust, uh, to, it's only after the, the, the atonement, the, the death of our Lord Jesus, that people could, can approach the, the throne of God with boldness. This woman approaches the throne of God with all boldness. Hoping to receive grace in our time of need. Before Hebrews 4. In 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. We find that same principle. That we can come. And approach the throne of grace. And we will find help in our time of need. Verse 16. She says. Do not consider your maidservant as a wicked woman. As a a daughter of Belial. Uh, the, The word there is Belial. The. Uh, And she's saying, do do not consider me as a worthless or as a treacherous woman, as a woman of destructiveness. And that's when Eli understands that he was wrong. He doesn't go as far as apologize, though he perhaps should have. um, But Mark as well the demeanor of Ahana that we should learn from, men and women alike. We should learn from her demeanor. She just got accused of something that was wrong and she doesn't protest. She doesn't, she doesn't get all up in arms and raise her flags and, and go all out in war. Why you dare say that to me? Who do you think you are? And, and I, I'm going to stop you right there. And so often we, we like to vindicate ourselves, especially when we know we are not in the wrong and the, the person who is accusing us is, is in the wrong. No. A gentle, meek and lowly spirit that she displays here. That's besides the point that, the, uh, that I'm trying to go at. Eli doesn't apologize, but he kind of changes the tune that he is uh, singing. And he goes, Oh, well, go in peace then. And the God of, of, of Israel grants your petition, which you have asked him. He blesses her. He blesses her. And God blesses those who trust in him, according to his wise, holy, good, and sovereign will. As he blesses her, she then tells her, tells him, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And I'll stop here and say she didn't receive any answer to her prayer yet, did she? She didn't know what was going to happen nine months later. But yet, there is something of her pouring out her heart here that released her, not from the circumstances that she was in. She was still barren at this time. She was still even, you could say, broken in her heart for not having children. But as she prayed and poured out her anguish to the Lord... She knew something of the sweet release that only the Lord can give to those who humble themselves before him and cast their anxieties, their cares upon him. She found that wonderful release that those who come to Christ heavy laden, tired, find. Christ did not promise that we would stop having troubles He said, if you come unto me, I will give you rest. She found something of that. She found something of of that assurance that God was in control and would take care of her situation. She cast all her anxieties on God, and she rested upon that. But we find that in this case, and we will talk about when we don't have our prayers answered, but we find that in this case God answered her prayer positively. He remembered her. Verse 19 and 20 convey to us that prayer, in this case, worked. You see, there's there's a two uh, two-pronged aspect to prayer, and and perhaps I let's just pause here. I know application. I usually leave the application to the end, but there is a two-pronged aspect to to uh, to prayer. In one sense. Prayer changes us. And praise God for that. Hannah prayed. And immediately she entrusted herself to the Lord. And she she was released from the anguish and the sorrowfulness. It says here that she ate. Verse 18. She, she went her way and finally she ate. And her face was no longer sad. There is something of a change that happened in her heart. Through prayer. So the first... Thing is, that prayer there's changes, but, but there is a two pronged uh, approach to this. There, were, there was a dramatic change in her, but there is also a sense where prayer changes not only us but changes things. God is pleased to act in response to our prayers. God is pleased to answer our prayers and to use our prayers as the means of accomplishing things. Some people, when we, we, they think about the sovereignty of God and the fact that God is in control of everything, they, they then, oh, why, then why pray? They develop this fatalistic uh, perspective. No point in prayer. praying. God has already determined everything. Destiny and fate. But Hannah did not reason in this way, did she? She trusted, she knew, she believed in the sovereignty of God, but she knew that God delights in using prayers to bring about his purposes. So much so that when Hannah came to the Lord in prayer, it ended up not only changing her life, spiritually, emotionally speaking, changing her on the inside, It actually changed her circumstances. She was given a son. But much more. In the case of Hannah, it not only changed her circumstances, it changed the circumstances of the nation. Samuel, the the boy that was born of Hannah, was to become a prophet uh, by God's grace and to lead the nation. And from there, indeed, the history of the world was changed. All because the Lord remembered her and there's a play on words here that uh, when she comes and she says so it came to pass in the, in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel uh, saying because I have asked for, uh, for him from the Lord uh, and, th- and there is a play of words even in verse, uh, this same play of words in verse 17 Eli answered and said to her uh, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition with your, which you have asked them the, the, the wordplay here is visible in the in the Hebrew, but it's the Lord grant you what you have asked. May the Lord respond to that asking of yours. There's there's a, a, an emphasis in the in the answer in the asked uh, uh, verb and and related nouns, and that's the name of Samuel as well. There's a lot of discussion. What does Samuel uh, mean? But Hannah says, or the one Samuel tells us, Samuel has something to do about being asked of the Lord. The Lord answered the prayer of Hannah. What she had asked, she received. And Samuel is a testament to that. Before I conclude with a few points of application, What do we do when the Lord does not answer our prayers? Maybe this is the first point of application. What do we do when this is all great, you might say, oh, the Lord answered the prayers of Anna. But what do we do? When we pray and we pour out our hearts before the Lord and the Lord does not answer us, when we are agonizing just like Hannah was and we're fervent, believing, pouring out, does this mean that God did not remember me? Does this mean that I was somewhat uh, selfish or in the wrong spirit when I prayed? Many times, yes. We are told, aren't we, that we we, we pray and we don't receive because we don't pray according to the will of God we pray for our own uh, wills for our own benefit but there is a sense as well that in other cases prayer is denied or delayed or even denied because God knows what we need more than we understand them ourselves and it takes faith and it takes trust. It takes walking by faith and not by sight, as the Apostle Paul says. But Sometimes God does not give us what we want because it is not the best for us. And we need to come to terms with that. A commentator, an old commentator, he wrote this. Whatever be the reasons for the apparent silence of God... We may rest assured that hearing prayer is the law of his kingdom. God hears prayer. It's the law of his kingdom. He hears the prayers of his saints. Old Testament and new alike bear witness to this. Every verse of the Psalms proclaims it. Alike by precept and example, our Lord constantly enforced it. Every apostle takes up the theme and urges the duty and the privilege. And what true Christian is there who cannot add testimonies from his own history to that same effect? If the answer to some of our prayers be delayed, has it not come to many of them? If yes, if some of our, if one of our prayers is not being answered, haven't we received answers in the past that we can count upon? To know that the Lord answers? And if there be prayers that have not yet been answered or in reference to which you have no knowledge of an answer, can you not afford to wait till God gives the explanation? And when the explanation comes, have you not such cause to believe that it will redound to the praise of God and that many things in reference to which you could at the same time see nothing but what was dark and terrible may turn out when fully explained to furnish new and overwhelming testimony that God is love. What is Blakey, William Blakey is the name of this author. What is he saying here? Will you not trust Will he not have faith? God promised that he will hear our prayers and he will answer our prayers. Not always positive, sometimes negative, but he has promised that all things work for good. Do you not have trust in that to, to rely upon him, to pray to him and like Anna, to commend yourself to him and then to wait upon the Lord? That is the essence of true prayer. We pray, we pour out our, our complaints, we pour out our, our needs and we then wait on the Lord to undertake. That is what true prayer is. And, and true prayer is not this... There is a, a sort of brand in Christianity that says that, that, that true prayer is this uh, contemplation, quiet. Uh, but, but what we see here is that true prayer is a pouring out more than anything else. I would suggest that the truest of prayers is the prayer that we often fail to have the right words to say, but our hearts are desperate in need of the Lord to act. She was in Anna was in deep anguish, in bitter weeping, in misery. She was troubled. She was, she, verse sixteen, in anguish and grief. But she prayed. And I, I suggest that one of the reasons why we do not pray more truthfully and better is because we we think we can manage without God, and that's when God sends his in his providence. Uh, 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 a circumstance that actually teaches us that we cannot do it and manage without Him. And, and then our prayers end up being truthful. We need to stop thinking of our prayers as a duty we perform, as if it is an option. It was not an option to, for Anna, it was not a duty. She did not get up from that meal because she had realized that she had not had her quiet time on that day. She, she, she had missed her, her, her noon appointment in her calendar. She marked there that you pray on, the, on these. No, she, she was anguished. And again, I think the, the perfect illustration of prayer is that of children. Children, they cry not because they were taught to cry, but because there is something of faith in a child that he knows if I cry enough, someone will listen. My youngest, a, few, a couple of weeks ago, he, we still didn't figure out what happened, but he was having some pains throughout the day over a period of, of three to four days, and he would just cry. And cry, and cry, and cry. And he, has, he just goes, ouchie, ouchie, ouchie. And he, where does it hurt? And he doesn't understand, he doesn't point. Just, he's just crying. But in that cry, there is something of faith, isn't there? He knows that if I complain, my mom or my dad will listen. He will, they will know what to do. He probably we didn't. He got better with, by himself. But there is something there that we need to learn in our own lives. There is nothing so sad as a child who, because they've been ignored and neglected, doesn't cry anymore. If you've been to an orphanage or a place like that, sometimes you find that that is the case. Because there is not much attention there. There is this eerie silence. But the cry of the the believer is the cry of faith of a child. We cry to God and we say, Lord, it hurts. But I know that you can take care of it. Even when we don't know how to pray, we know how to cry, the cry of faith. And that is probably the greatest of prayers that we pray the truest of prayers i am w- not suggesting that we start praying like that in our in our midweek uh, prayer meetings probably that those are the deepest prayers that we utter when we don't even know what to say that is the first point the second point that i would like to make as we look at this passage in 1 samuel is to count those answered prayers as it's basically the, the quote that I read to you as well. When, uh, when Blakey William Blakey says, Is there not many other prayers that the Lord has answered? And there, are there not many other things that you have asked of the Lord, that the Lord has granted your request? Don't you have as well many Samuels? I love that Hannah gave the name Samuel to her son because every time that Hannah looked at Samuel, she remembered, I've asked of the Lord. Don't we have many Samuels in our lives? Don't we have many things that we can say it was asked of the Lord? The point that I'm trying to make is that we need to count our blessings. Not forget the multitude of other things that the Lord has given us, and, but mark them well. How does the hymn say? Count your blessings. Remind them well. Have those things in your mind. Do not allow a a, a present affliction to make you forget about the whole goodness of God that the Lord has done to you. Count your Samuels. Remember them. Yes, now there's affliction like Anna had uh, in those moments, but it's affliction that is tilling the ground. That is, yes, uh, taking away some of the flowers of gladness that you had in your life at that moment. But the seeds that are going to be sown there, they are seeds that will produce much better flowers. Because God never destroys his people. God never judges his people with wrath but only with father-like love. And out of sadness, like with, with, uh, with Hannah, he brings life. Out of pain, he brings health. Out of disappointments, he's, he brings, someone said, his appointments for good. And that's what we need to remind ourselves. Is that the God whom we serve, he is the God who turns our sorrow into dancing. Psalm 30, verse 11. He is the God who turned this burdened and barren woman into an expectant and even mother now, an, an elated one? He turns our sackcloth into into robes of, of rejoicing. David cries out in Psalm thirty and pleads. He he's, he's suffering. He's in Psalm thirty eleven. He's let's turn there. Let's turn to Psalm thirty verse eleven. I and read it the second part of the psalm quickly psalm 30 this is a psalm where david is crying out to the lord verse 8 and to the lord i made my supplication what profit is there in my blood what what if i die lord what what profit is there to you if i die when i go down to the pit will the dust praise you verse 8 will it declare your truth what profit is there lord for me to die i'm i'm suffering i'm i'm praying to you hear o lord and have mercy on me be my helper and then this prayer proclaimed or, or or said in the midst of anguish just like anna is turned and answered by the lord and the and he David says, "You have turned for me my mourning into dark into das- dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. Yes, the weeping may last one, one, one night, but joy comes in the morning. Remember that that 's the God we serve, a God who hears prayers, a God, a God who is overruling everything for good, that is restoring everything for his glory. So that's why we should come to him. Our Lord Jesus said, I, I've quoted it already, but he said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. And when he says that, we usually think, oh, that means that, that's for unbelievers. You, go, you have to go uh, when you're with your weary and heavy ladenness uh, when you're in guilt of sin and God will give you rest and Christ will give you rest. Or if you're in fear of the law or if you're in fear of death, if you're in fear of hell, and hell, yes, that's the first step for any unbeliever uh, regenerated by the Spirit of God is to come to Christ and to receive rest from him, from those things. But God, when He says that, He's not just saying, Christ is not just saying, Come unto Me with your with, for your needs of salvation. Come f- to Me for your needs of everything. Even affliction. Come unto Me, the Lord says. Weary and heavy laden. Are you weary and heavy laden? And I will give you rest. I will comfort you with comfort that the world does nothing about, the Lord Jesus says. I will cheer your heart. I will turn your mourning into dancing. I will... Take away the sackcloth and, and put it and, and robe you with gladness and clothe you with gladness. God is not saying that he will turn our circumstances. I, I had this conversation with a with brother the other day and I, 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 I felt so discouraged because I felt he was robbing himself of of Something excusing himself out of something and robbing himself out of the, the peace that God gives. We were talking about dealing with depression and dealing with anxiety and cares. And he said, oh, but Christians, we, 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 we do not deny that we have anxieties. And I said, no, we don't. We, we go through anxieties. We have cares. We, need, we, we, we have things that stress us out. No denying there. Peter does not deny it. The psalmists never deny it. We suffer. We sorrow. There is no denying that. Oh, but but God sometimes doesn't take them away. And I said, no, I'll stop you right there. God does take it away. And it's only to the degree that we don't humble ourselves before the Lord that we still carry those things. I it's hard and sometimes we f- we fail at humbling ourselves before the Lord but the Lord has promised that he would take not the circumstances that caused the anxiety away not the ca- the circumstances that caused those those evil things to come uh, th- those evil thoughts to come upon us away but he promised that if we humble ourselves before him and we cast our cares upon him that we'll have peace that we have will have a peace that the world does not understand but it's only to the extent that we come closer to Him. And that's the, the question that we face with Anna. For Anna, as she faced agony, as she faced all of these problems, she was brought closer to God. Some of us, when we face the storm of affliction in our lives, we turn away from God. We go, we run. We become disquieted, but instead of coming to Christ and abiding in Him and trusting in Him and waiting upon Him, we go all the way and, and, and start looking for solutions in ourselves. We start looking inside, we start looking outside, we, we start looking for uh, things that for in the power of, the, uh, of, of ourselves or of this world. No, we are to wait in the Lord. And the proof that Hannah knew about this is that even before the Lord gave her the son, even before she had the answer to her prayer, just by praying, her face was changed. She understood that the Lord was there, that the Lord heard, and that in his time the Lord would provide according to his will. Her face was no longer sad. The key to Anna's prayer is that she knew the Lord. And the question I have for you is do you know the Lord? Do you know Him? Because her example urges us similarly to find peace in waiting on the Lord. She did not find peace because God gave her a son nine months later. She had the peace at the moment that she prayed. She was no longer sad. She ate. And this is really striking. She didn't know that the, how God would answer a prayer. But the point is that she prayed. And now she was at peace, maybe happy even to leave it with God. Paul says in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's what she did. She was, not, she was troubled. She brought it to God. God gave her peace. That transcends understanding. You ask, why was she at peace? Nothing changed from five minutes earlier. Yeah, that's why it transcends understanding. And the Lord guarded her heart. Do you know this God? Do you wait upon him? Have you come to this Christ? Let me just say to those of you that perhaps have not come to trust this God, this Savior. There is no real peace and no real happiness outside of him. There is nothing outside of him that will truly make you happy. And the only reason why you might say I'm happy and I don't have Christ is because you're happy but you're not really considering your circumstances. Like the, the businessman who is in bankruptcy but he's happy because he doesn't look at the books. That's the reality that you're in. So come to Him. Look at the circumstances. Come to Him. Pour out your soul before Him. Flee to Him. And come to Him to trust in him and maybe you are the someone who says oh, maybe i haven't come but i'll come later do you know that there is a later time for you to come to him perhaps you think there is but there might ne- not come that time the longer you stay away the less chance you have of coming at all so don't delay it take heed and come Come now to the Lord, pour out your weariness and your need before him and he will give you rest.